So hey everybody, welcome to episode 305 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario and I'm joined once again by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And we have Mark Rubin on the line in San Jose, California. Hello. All right, so let's start off with a little bit of fact check. So last week we were talking about the uh, like the keynotes and the and the, um, the platform State of the Union and so I, and I was trying to remember what things were and I couldn't, I wrote down Run Club but I couldn't remember what it was but of course it's the Nike Running Club which is I guess part of the Apple Watch uh, fitness program. Um, another fact check is uh, this, I've been taking a little bit of heat over the over my use of the word Sherlock uh, when in fact a new feature for finding things on your Mac is called Spotlight but I just wanted to point out that Sherlock named after Sherlock Holmes was a file and web search tool created by Apple Incorporated on for the PowerPC based classic mac os and uh it was introduced in mac os 8 and it was the same sort of thing where you did command space bar and it would it would incarnate that um then who's giving you heat over that what are you talking about oh you guys are always going on about spotlight and sherlock and whatever but anyway it doesn't matter um, i just wanted to, i just wanted to give some history to behind who you know how the sherlock name came from and, and when we talk about things being sherlock i'm not sure what the actual reference was about why we say things being Sherlock, but that's when Apple comes up with a technology that replaces something that, uh, um, you know, they've come up with some new technology, whatever. I, I assume that that's what happened was somebody, yeah. somebody had an app and Apple Sherlocked them by introducing Sherlock, right? Yes. I don't remember what the app was and who did it, right. but uh, it was Watson. Watson? Watson. Was it oh, okay. Watson? Thought like that was search, part of search the... utility, finder search utility, I guess, right? Yeah. I thought it was called Watson and that it was part of the, the humor and why it's stuck with people so long for, to remember Sherlock. But I could be wrong. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, and also, I, uh, <laughs> I also mentioned I couldn't remember what the three transitions were, but of course, Apple started on 68K Motorola processors. They transitioned to PowerPC. Uh, also, I think a conglomeration between IBM and uh, and Motorola. And if you remember, I don't know if you know this or not, but IBM stands for I Build Macintoshes. And uh, Intel was the third transition when, I don't know, uh, sometime around Tiger, I think, was when we first got... Uh, Oh, Intel that's, computers. That's only two transitions, right? Well, they said three. Okay, so what's the third one then, Mark? Craig Federighi said three. Who, who said three? Craig Federighi said three. There have been three transitions, or was it was it maybe Tim Cook? I'd have to go back and listen to him. Well, okay, fact check for next week. I don't know, but they definitely the first Mac. Well, I mean, maybe there was. <laughs> if you want to go way back, there was the the sixty five hundred two to sixty eight thousand transitions. So the Apple two, the Apple one, and the Apple two ran on a sixty five hundred two chip, which was a really Really old chip uh, back in the seventies, early eighties. But that was also Motorola, though, right? Uh, no, Motorola didn't make the sixty-five hundred two. Um, oh, okay. This was real early days. Let me look up who who made that. Uh, but it, it was a company you've never. Oh yeah, Moss Technology, MOS Technology. They don't exist anymore, obviously. Okay, so then when the Mac came out, uh, they it used the sixty-eight thousand series of chips, which were made by Motorola, and were the same chips that right. were also in like the Amiga. Uh, so all of those those first generation, you know, graphically based with a mouse type computers those are all enabled by this the 
68,000 technology mm-hmm, chip. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was, the, okay, then there was the transition to the PowerPC. Right. So I guess depending on how you define it, that's either the first transition or the second transition, right? That's right. definition. Right. <laughs> PowerPC was a completely new architecture. And as you said, it was, yeah, it was a consortium with IBM and Motorola and Apple. Uh, and then there was a transition to uh, the Intel. And this one would be the third transition to right. Apple Silicon. Oh, or, I see. Or the okay. fourth yeah. transition, I suppose. Well, it depends if you're, yeah, if you're zero-based or one-based. Yeah, exactly. Right. Transition. Right. transition. Well, I, I think we would probably rule out the 6502 transition because they... Well, may, yeah, maybe this, was, maybe this was the third. Yeah, this, maybe, is, yeah, the this third is the third transition. Okay, okay. Yeah, that right. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we need to have four chips for there to be three, three transitions, That's essentially, right? right? Yeah. Or yeah. Chip sets or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Right. We also talked about Scribble on the watch, and, or sorry, Scribble on coming to the iPad and on, I guess, to the any the handwriting recognition that's coming with with uh, onto the new systems. And Scribble is the name of the um, a little message thingy that you have on your watch if you ever want to reply to a message. I don't know if you've ever done this, Mark. Do you, do you even wear a watch? I don't remember. I don't really wear my watch. I have one, but yeah. I don't really wear it that often. So when you when you go to reply to a message, there's a little, there's it looks like, what does it look like here? Yeah, you can draw with your finger. You can draw single characters and, and, um, and that's called Scribble on the watch. So we have that already. I do use it on my watch. Um, I completely blanked on the fact that it was called Scribble. Oh, yes. Yeah. I thought about it after the show, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I put WWC uh, app themes. You were asking about those last week, and I started making notes. Um, one of them was Soup Chef, which was actually what they they, they think they demoed Soup Chef, Soup Chef um, in 2019, because you guys mentioned it before, right? Another app that they were doing was a sandwiches app, where you know people love their sandwiches. And a third one I saw in, in the videos was uh, Photo Gallery. So those were kind of cool things. Um, but I, there's probably a couple of other apps that I'm, I'm probably drawing a blank on. But um, And Jaime and I were talking talking about the Quidditch Cup and the, uh, I guess, uh, in the Goblet of Fire, they were on their way at the beginning of, the, of that movie or book or whatever you want to call it, to um, to the thing and the boot that they touched is actually, I think Jaime said it under, I didn't hear him say it at the time, but it was called a port key. Is that what's what you use to go from one place to another in the world of Harry Potter, the wizarding world of Harry Potter, I believe it's called, right? I was uh, talking to you guys about the the very first guy who ever told me about WWDC uh, was a guy named Pat Salo who still works for Intel, and I met him at Voices That Matter in um, in uh, uh, Seattle. Like he had come up for that conference, and um, interestingly enough, I, I very rarely talk to him. Um, we we text every now and then, and maybe if I'm going down to San Francisco, I'll sort of see if he's around. He lives in in Sacramento, uh, so it's a, it's a couple of hour drive for him, but. Um, he contacted me out of the blue because he saw me in the end of the uh, James Dempsey and the Breaks or Drake Points video that we just did, the pandemic version of uh, the week, Leaky song. So I don't know if you guys enjoyed that or saw that or whatever, but anyway, just it was out of the blue that my buddy Pat contacted me. So it's his fault that I'm you know here today, ultimately, I guess. All right. So uh, Ask MTGC, do we have any Ask MTGC? I guess we don't, huh? I didn't see any. I didn't see any. Hashtag Ask MTGC on Twitter if you want to ask questions and have us read it on the air. Or join us on the Slack channel where you can ask us directly. All right. Um, okay, let's let's get on to some follow-ups. So what have you got here, Jaime? Yeah, the follow-up we got here is that the developer transition kit is making its way out to people. And as we predicted, of course, people are going to break their NDAs and all the other sign-your-life-away agreements with Apple. And benchmarks are starting to come out. Um, I had caveated that folks should not look too much into the benchmarks because this is an unoptimized system and is really meant to be you know, a, a, a decent an approximation, but not necessarily the latest and greatest best that Apple will have. 
coming up uh, later this year when it releases its first Apple Silicon-based devices. Is it um, this year or next year they're coming out? With I thought they phone. said this year, but I actually don't know if that was calendar year or... I think it was 2021, they you know, said. 365-day kind of year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, coming soon. Um, and uh, apparently it's it's benchmarking pretty well, considering that uh, you're running the A12Z, which was meant for the iPad Pro, and it's running the benchmarking through Rosetta. And it's roughly on par with uh, the, the sort of activity that you'd see coming out of a 2020 MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's pretty good. I think that's not half bad for, for something that isn't necessarily putting their step, you know, best foot forward. It's supposed to give you sort of a, a way to get things tested out and make sure that the operations will work, but it isn't necessarily tuned for the absolute best performance. So I'm personally pretty excited for what will come out in the future. It's already looking this good. Yeah. If, if just the first chip that they happen to use, I mean, it's, they're basically the chip that they're using is essentially the one from the iPad Pro. It's not even the real one that they're going to use for, for a Mac. And they're running all the software in, in emulation mode. And if they're still getting the performance that they're that they're getting, which is comparable to, what was it, comparable to like a, a MacBook Air? Is that what they said? Or a, yeah, 2020 MacBook Air. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty impressive. So yeah, I think you're right. I think it's going to be pretty blazingly fast once it's a, a real chip and it's on you know non, uh, non-emulated software. Yeah. So right. have you heard the rumor that the first uh, Apple Silicon computer is going to be a replacement for the MacBook Pro 13? What? Really? That's what I heard Oh, oh you, mean, oh, you mean what they're going to roll out? Yeah, no, well, that, that goes without saying. Like, I, I have been saying this since oh, because you know, you Adam was you a boy. Yeah, yeah. As soon as I buy a piece of equipment, it is going to be somehow discontinued or over overwritten or something. Yeah. Like, it's just, just the nature. I mean, I don't even think about it anymore. It's not even, it's just, it's like Tuesday to me, you know? Yeah. When it comes to just Apple. Just take it as a yeah. point of pride that you, you know, deciding to buy the device collapsed the probability wave function, which caused <laughs> Apple Silicon to spontaneously wings, come exactly. into existence right. in the past. Yeah. So I'm facing a real dilemma right now. I, I really need to buy a new Mac, but yeah. but I kind of don't want to buy one for exactly that reason because I know it's going to well, be so now. Yeah. Now you're yeah. you're in that. You're I'm in, in that, the so. I'm in the Mitra zone. Mm. So here, here <laughs> here's what. Well, here's what Rennie Ritchie says about this because because he was he did a question and answer thing the other day. And somebody had asked him whether they should buy now that now that the the ARM computers or Apple Silicon computers are coming along. What what should he do? Should he wait? Should he buy whatever? And and Randy raises, raises an interesting point because he, and and this happens with every transition that we've gone through. Um, that you know it's going to be a year, maybe you know eighteen months of oh this app won't work or that app won't work. So if you're in production, you know he sort of says you should probably buy the best um, Intel based Mac you can today because it's going to last you a couple of years while the rest of us on the bleeding edge are going to be, you know, crying over the fact that, you know, oh, Photoshop doesn't work and yeah. Office is buggy and, you know, because it's going to take a while for people to transition. Unless everybody in the world stops what they're doing right now and writes everything in Swift UI, you know, it's, it's going to be one problem after another, it sounds like, right? You know? Yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, the the risk, and granted, it's it's you know it's backloaded risk. It, it's a year yeah. or two away. The yeah. risk is that people start writing apps that just won't work on your computer at some yeah. point because mm-hmm. it'll only work. It's like it's like back when you know when the sixty four bit stuff came out. Uh, so if someone wrote an app for sixty four bit and you only had a machine that worked on thirty two bit, then you just couldn't use that new software. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the way I'm looking at it is they said it's a two year transition, right? Before you know these Intel based Mac 
packs are definitely the, the odd ducks where there's no new ones that have coming out. And then you layer on top, you know, people doing software changes and working out the bugs in both the hardware and software. I'm like, mm, let's call it like three years before people can say, without a doubt, you should absolutely buy this RMAC um, instead of waiting for the next revision that has a bug fix or wait for the next, etc. So if you weren't willing to, to dump the full market price for an upgraded Mac, maybe you could get a nice refurb and, and get a lot of the value you want, but without having to dump anywhere near the normal sticker price. Yeah, good idea. Although, I, I don't know. I don't like to buy refurb computers because it feels like you're just uh, buying <laughs> someone else's uh, problems. You know, there's, there's a reason they return that machine. I don't know. I mean, I think, I I think that, I think that well, my experience with, with the refurbs, because I bought a couple of refurbs from, from Apple um, over the years, at least. And um, I think what it is is a lot of things. Don't forget, there's a 14-day policy where you can return, no questions asked. I think I think my suspicion is a lot of the computers that end up in that refurb channel are those computers. You know, they've, they've been opened up, they've been used, they've been whatever. They have to go back to Apple to be you know, sort of inspected, and they run a bunch of hard, hardware diagnostics on them. They replace whatever's broken on them if there is something wrong, right? So, And you get full warranty, and you're, you're saving a couple hundred bucks. But yeah. and my biggest problem with, with like now needing a monitor is is I just literally just bought uh, uh, I, I mean, I brought this, bought this brand new uh, MacBook, which, you know, of course, Carol paid for because it's my birthday, but um, I just also bought a, uh, an iPad Pro 11 because a family member needs a, an, an iPad, and the only one I have available to give them is my old 12.9, the first gen, right? So, of course, I bought the Magic Keyboard with that, and then Apple Care, and I have to buy a new pencil because the old pencil doesn't work with the new one, and then, and then, and then, you know, so I just spent like, you know, a couple of grand on, on, on that, you know, and then to have to turn around and buy, I don't, I don't know, what, is, what does a Dell monitor cost these days? Is it like a thousand? bucks or is it you know 500 bucks what is it what, probably 500 bucks that? really what i'm looking yeah. at for myself uh sorry my own monitor that yeah. i looked up on amazon was like 438 yeah 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 i mean admittedly we're not i mean apple apple ones with apple logos on the back of them you know they're they've always been prohibitive i have a few of them here in my my warehouse of, of relic uh, Macs, but i never i didn't buy them firsthand they were all secondhand ones in fact even this display that i bought here i'm watching looking at right now is also a, a, a secondhand somebody's dog running around um yeah so that's that's the that's the challenge i have is just I mean, how's that uh, MacBook 16, MacBook Pro 16 working out for you? Is it, are you pretty happy with it? He loves it. Pretty happy yeah. with it, yeah. It's yeah. it's definitely a lot snappier than my 2012 Retina MacBook Pro, and yeah. um, no no problems with it, uh, which I guess is one data point. Um, certainly I've seen people on, on Reddit and, and other forums who have weirdo problems, but it seems like it's not uh, frequent enough to call it um, a problem quite like the butterfly keyboards, right? That one had a, a whole bunch of data points um so your your uh, your mileage may vary or differ from mine but you know it's it's working pretty good for me um cool nice yeah that's probably the one i'm, I'm going to be looking at in a not too far future as i look at my current laptop sitting on my desk with the with the lid closed but it won't fully close i think i'm getting some battery swelling oh which is bad good. yeah so, so is this a 15 yeah. inch you have it is a 2013 15 inch yeah pretty old. it's getting pretty old yeah, those guys are uh, the batteries are glued to the top case, so yeah, yeah you're gonna yeah. I mean, it's to... it's it's done its it's it's done its job. It served its purpose. It's been a workhorse for mm-hmm. it's been seven years now, so I can't really complain. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think it's probably getting close to the end. Badly. It's funny. All three of us have 2013 Macs, right? Oh no, Jaime has a 2012, right? Yeah, I have the the first Retina MacBook Pro that came out. Well, 2013 Macs were were a great year. 
they were the last ones non USB C, the last Thunderbolt ones. Um, but yeah, they were they were great hardware. And like I said, it's been lasting me for seven years. Mm-hmm. Well, twenty fifteens have Thunderbolts as well. But yeah, that's okay. Twenty fifteens were USB C, no? No, no. Twenty sixteen was when the when they started the Touch Bar USB C guys. You're thinking maybe of the MacBook itself, the small little guy. Yeah. But, uh, uh, okay. Yeah, I may have that wrong. Mm, yeah. 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 Because yeah. we have we have some at work. We have some 2013s and 2015s still going, and they still compete with the touch bars in terms of speed and things. So I think I think the the touch bar and whatever else uh, consumes a lot of power, so, or a lot of a lot of I mean horsepower, right? Not not uh, electricity. But uh, yeah. Okay. Cool. So, Mark, you have uh, something for us in the follow-up. What do you got? I do. So, one thing that I know I've been uh, wondering about, and I think everyone's probably been wondering about, is is uh, now that we've had WWC, usually the next big event uh, that everyone gets excited about is the September-ish release of the new iPhones. Right. And, you know, that's a little harder to do than WWC, actually, because they have to have the, the physical hardware. And, and uh, given all the issues we've been having with, you know, the worldwide pandemic, been wondering, well, what's going to happen with that? How much are things going be delayed. So an article came out today, actually, or maybe yesterday, uh, in uh, a a journal called Nikkei Asian Review, uh, where they're saying that uh, Apple's facing delays of between four weeks and two months for mass production of the four models in its 5G lineup after postponements caused by factory lockdowns and workplace absences during the pandemic, which sounds not great. Uh, but it does go on to say that Apple has been doing a lot to speed things up and reduce delays. So they expect now uh, that the phones will still be released this calendar year. So they probably will not be postponed to 2021, which is great news. Now, it may not be September, maybe December, but you know my guess is if they're if they're going to get it out uh, in December, they're going to try to get their hardest to get it out in time for the holidays. So it'll be either late November, or early December. I would think they wouldn't want to miss that window. If they do yeah, miss well, that window, they might as well go into 2021. Yeah. So I mean, but they've been saying you know, I think Apple sort of said early that they were they were going to having they were expecting delays. But I mean, they had mm-hmm. a staggered release last year too because I think the iPhone Pro came 11 Pros came out, and then it was a couple of weeks before the um, iPhone 11 came out in terms of when when they would actually ship and because mm-hmm. i remember it was like two week gap there and uh i want to say october is when i when i picked up the the yeah, the, the non-pro device, the uh, iPhone 11. So, yeah, I mean, it's not unusual, you know, given, I mean, this is extenuating circumstances, yeah, obviously. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, but I'm curious, though, so so do we know, in fact, that, that Apple is, is going to be producing a 5G phone in the first go? Because I thought I had also heard earlier on that there was doubts whether Apple would have a 5G phone this year, right? Do we know for sure? Uh, well, I guess we mm. don't know for sure. This article seemed to be pretty confident that they were. Um, right. I thought, wasn't, wasn't the controversy last year before the, the 11s came out, whether it'd be a 5G or not, and Apple you know, pretty much definitively said no, they were going to wait a year, so it was going to be the end of 2020. It, it would it would be pretty late if they waited till the end of 2021 for a 5G phone, I right, gotta say. Right. It would be pretty late. So, I guess the next question is, so Bell up here in, in Canada is already advertising that they have a 5G network. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if there's a Google phone that's 5G already, or a Samsung maybe, but what are, what are the networks in the States? Like, are is like AT and T and Verizon. What are they? What are they saying about their? I know you said that they can change the icon at the top of the phone to say anything. Well, so yeah, so my my iPhone does say five G, but it's not really five G, right? It's this. It's exactly what they did with when four uh, G came out. They had this. You know, it was really three G. It was really three GS, and they called it you know four G or whatever. So yeah, sometimes it does say five G, but it's not. I mean, it's for sure not. It's it's just this enhanced four G network. Uh, but yeah, I do think that some Samsung and 
and and you know maybe Huawei phones uh, are five G. So so yeah, so the, the networks must have must have some kind of coverage for that in the states. So what's the story with Huawei while we're on that subject with you guys? Because I know up here we have a bit of a political intrigue going on because we our government arrested the one of the top executives. Yep. And uh, so we're we're having a tug of war with a couple of uh, Canadians who have been held in prison in in uh, China for espionage. But um, what uh, what's the U.S. position on Huawei? Do you know? Well, you can still buy their products, but, <laughs> but uh, I, I haven't been following the details, but I imagine, yeah, the, the politics are probably kind of tense right now. But, you know, what politics are not tense right now in the That's U.S.? True. Well, I, I mean, so, so what I can say is that there's, there's a big debate about, like, whether or not Canadian, like, like Canadians are sort of saying to our government, we don't want Huawei equipment, you know, um, or, or there's concerns about Huawei equipment coming into into Canada because, you know, we don't know what goes under under on under the hood, right? So I think that's that seems to be a concern. Anyway, that we'll, we'll watch that. That's a story that's been brewing for for many 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 moons now. So oh. just haven't talked about it here. This is interesting. Just in the last day, it looks like the FCC banned Huawei uh, networking gear. Let me, let me see what this is all about. An Ars Technica article here. Uh, small ISP stunned by FCC move to ban Huawei ZTE gear during pandemic. The FCC already voted unanimously in November 19 to ban Huawei and ZTE equipment in projects paid for by the Commission's Universal Service Fund, USF. But the ban, inspired by fears that the Chinese vendor's equipment poses national security risks, is just now coming into effect, with the US, with the FCC announcing yesterday that USF money, quote, may no longer be used to purchase, obtain, maintain, improve, modify, or otherwise support any equi- equipment or services provided, uh, pr- or sorry, produced or provided by these suppliers. Huh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. So it's, you know, so, so uh, consumers and, and private companies or, or even, you know, public companies uh, can certainly buy the equipment. It's just um, anyone that's where the project is paid for by this universal service fund, which I'm not actually sure what that is. So I can look that up next. Okay, Universal Service Fund, Federal Communications. Prior to the Telecommunications Act of 1986, the USF operated as a mechanism by which interstate long-distance carriers were assessed to, to subsidize telephone service to low-income housing. And, oh, okay, I see. The Telecommunications Act of 1996 expanded the traditional definition of universal service, affordable nationwide telephone service to include, among other things, rural health care providers and eligible schools and libraries. So basically, there's a there's a law, that, and this is why this uh, would affect ISPs. ISPs and, and network carriers uh, because because uh, they have to uh, provide service to low-income housings or high-cost areas, uh, households rather, and high-cost areas, uh, they have to uh, abide by these. So, okay, so this it looks like this, this fund, I'm, I'm just reading this because this is something I don't know anything about, uh, this fund is used to help subsidize work to provide service to low-income households and high-cost areas. And so all of the carriers or ISPs are, are tapping into this fund so they can they can use it to to provide the service but anyone who accepts that this fund has to abide by the FCC rule that they can't use Huawei or, or, or ZDE products so it's pretty much specifically networking products from these companies yeah I'm just reading a couple of articles here it sounds like it sounds like it's uh, tense times for uh, for Canada I'll have some links in the show notes for people who want to follow up on that story 
So yeah, so another story here. So we've we've talked about uh, the uh, we didn't actually publish what we talked about last week because like I didn't it was a long show so I didn't feel that we needed to have any more after show than we had. Um, but we before the before we started taping we were talking about uh, the spread of uh, the coronavirus and how it's having a resurgence in some of the states in the U.S. And uh, so this is kind of follow up and we've been talking about this on and off. So I guess it's tech, still technically follow up. But um, Apple has decided to close down. Um, uh, stores in Florida and I believe in Arizona after having reopened them. And Southern California. The, and Southern California. Due to yep. the rise again of uh, COVID-19 has been, I guess, another spike. In fact, I heard the other day, I think, I saw a chart saying that, that the current number of cases is higher than it was in April. Oh, was, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so New York was where the, the first, New York and New Jersey yeah. was where the original peak was. And they've pretty much got it under control there. But in a lot of other places in the country, places really where they just, you know, weren't taking the, the precautions seriously. People weren't social distancing. People weren't wearing masks. Uh, in particular, places like Texas and Arizona and Florida and and, uh, and apparently Southern California, uh, things are, are really bad there now. They're worse there now than they've ever been, way worse than they were in April. And Arizona, I was watching for today, is almost as bad now as New York was at the peak. And today's Wednesday, so by the time this is published on Saturday or Sunday, we'll see. Not good. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a picture here of, uh, I guess it must be, I think it's a New York store where the, it's all glass on the front. And um, no, this is a ground level one. Anyway, it, it, there's a you know, big turnstile in front of the front of the store and people are wearing masks and they're all standing six feet apart and it looks pretty empty. I don't know. I'm, I'm really surprised at how a lot of businesses are going to survive if they don't have deep, po- deep pockets that Apple has. So, yeah, it's going to be tough times for a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, in particular, restaurants and bars and things like that that are very much service industry kind of places it'll be tough for them yeah, to get going again yeah we're having we're having our, our patios have just started opening up here uh, in in canada and you know the like if some of the malls opened last week i think wednesday and um they you can go into them but you and you can go to the food courts in them but you cannot eat the food in the food court you have to take it everything has to be to go so mm-hmm. uh, it's inter- interesting times right so yeah. all righty um so we didn't talk about this last weekend but I, I, there was a comment made in passing and i wonder if it was related to this this uh, story but uh so last week in the middle of or just as the run-up to wwdc there was a big uh, uh i was hearing seeing uh, comments about Basecamp and their new hey email app are you guys familiar with that story at all yeah that was the one that blew up just a little bit prior to uh wwdc yeah so the the in a nutshell you know they they had this uh they came out with this hey app um and they they had published it to a number of a number of native um uh, versions, including one for iOS, and it wasn't until they did their second. Um, and you basically sign up for a new email account, and they give you a, an a account at this hey.com. This is from Basecamp, and um, they uh, they got blocked by Apple's review because they you couldn't sign up for the email account while you were in the app. You had to go off to a third, like a to their website to sign up, and apparently that's in contravention of the rules. And sort of there was a big you know for about uh, this account and and whether or not it was you know, Apple trying to get make sure they got their revenues or what have you. And, and there was a lot of discussion among the developer community, and I just wanted to raise it here. But having read the article and gone through it again today, um, uh, Apple's changing the policies about uh, what they'll be able... Like, they, they're saying now that they won't be blocking uh, apps that are um, updates, like like based on kind of previous or new rules or whatever. Um 
I don't know if you guys have had a chance to read this at all. Bug fix updates in particular. Yeah, bug fixes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think this is great news. I I kind of think it's it's a little bit of a stretch to give Basecamp the credit for this happening. Right. Yeah. No. No. It's uh, just, yeah. <laughs> because because I I know from my own experience I I had a, an experience which was a fairly long prolonged approval process uh, for various reasons and and you know Apple was very strict about certain things but they were also pretty fair about it you know they would they would uh, anytime something came up where you know, if we submitted a version that they didn't want to accept for a particular reason, they would still give us an exception and and let us release the app with the uh, agreement that we would fix this one particular thing. And this this is a very very special case. It doesn't appeal doesn't apply to most people. So so they were basically doing that. You know, anytime we came and said, but look, we have a this is a we have to get this out. This is a bug fix. Yeah, we're working on the other stuff, but this is a bug fix. They would be very good about getting it out. So I think they've been doing that all along. But right. but yeah. now. Now they're kind of formalizing the process, the procedure, and I'm not. I'm not saying it's because of us that they're doing it either. Uh, but but my suspicion is that this has been happening a lot because Apple. To me, it feels like Apple has been in certain areas, particularly related to you know privacy type things. Uh, and you know, I work on enterprise software now, so it's a it's a big deal. Uh, Apple has been, been been getting very very much much more strict than they than they were in the past for good reason. Uh, and and I think that it's it's not any one company or any other company that was the only you know, victim of, of this type of behavior, of type of situation, I think a lot of companies have been experiencing this. So I, I suspect this was, this move, which was great, was a result of, of a lot of different things. One of which is, is probably the base camp thing. But really the base camp thing doesn't, you know, doesn't really even fit this particular situation, right? Because the it's not a bug fix release that's that's going to allow them to uh, have uh, uh, you know purchases in the app, right? So I don't know. Anyway, long-winded thing saying, I don't think it's just Basecamp. I, th- I think it's a lot of companies, and uh, I think it's a great thing <laughs> that they're doing now. Done. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just interesting here that it says it says that two changes that came out. You know, I'm going to read this. It says first, developers will not be able to appeal decisions about whether an app violates a given guideline in the Apple Review guidelines, but will also have a mechanism to challenge the guideline itself. Yeah. Um, and second, that for apps that are already in the App Store, bug fixes will no longer be delayed over guideline violations, except for those for illegal reasons. Um, developers will instead be able to address the issue in their next submission. Yeah, exactly. This is great. This is this yeah. is really good yeah. news. Yeah. I think that it's pretty good to see that these things are opening up. Uh, I do agree with Mark that it, even though it's the kind of thing that you could very sort of rapidly work out in response to that sort of thing, I don't I don't think with WWDC coming up that they would have had the time to, to do that. And I would surmise that it's more related to preparing themselves legally for the uh, European Union antitrust investigations. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels more like to me uh, yeah. if I had to point at anything. All right, cool. All righty, well, we had last uh, last week, as you mentioned before, WWDC 20, and uh, I mean, you got a bit of a thing about uh, Paul Hudson's wrap-up, right? Yeah, he's got uh, an article here that's sort of the tail end of it talks about his, uh, what is this, top 10 favorite talks from WWDC 20. Uh, I was figuring we could talk about those and see sure. uh, if we've yeah. watched them, do we agree? With, are there other ones that uh, yeah. may not be getting enough of the limelight? He does also talk about the the new format. As we were talking about, you know, what's going to happen for next year WWDC, uh, right. assuming that the pandemic is over by then, and, and it's actually feasible to have an in person option if you wanted it to to be. Um, I do agree with him that, that there are some nice things, like the you know, videos were only as long as they needed to be. They didn't you know, 
squish yeah. two unrelated things together that were shorter to be one, you know, 40 minute segment in a schedule. They also didn't take one topic that's really like 15, 20 minutes and stretched out to 40 minutes. So that was nice. That was a nice little surprise. Um, of course, software works first time every time. Uh, the presenters were, were generally pretty good, although we were talking about it, Tim, right? On the, the, the watch party thing on Zoom. Like, sometimes I kind of didn't believe the person that said, like, oh, we can't wait to see what we do. I'm like, I don't know. That <laughs> could have had a better take of that one because it sounded like you need to blink twice yeah. to tell us, you know, are you are you, <laughs> are you doing this against your will sort of thing is what it felt like uh, for some of them. Yeah, blink twice if you're being held hostage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the copyable code is not something that uh, that I tried out live, but I, I did go check it out. It's kind of a cool thing to do. Uh, and the recap videos were um, interesting because it, it meant that you didn't have to sort of sort through yourself. You got a little minute, maybe two minutes of a Serenity Caldwell mm-hmm. sort of describing here were the main topics that happened today. Uh, I would say that my beef with those is that they came out at like 5 p.m., which doesn't make any <laughs> sense considering that the videos come out at 10 uh, Pacific in the morning. So right. why not just have that? <laughs> why do I need to wait till 5 p.m. to get the recap that can tell me what yeah. what I should have spent my time on <laughs> during this. Well, but you know what? It may, it may have been a popularity thing. It may have been like based on the number of people watching. They could have been watching the stats. To oh, sort of you think they recorded people it? Are focusing? You record, they recorded mm. it that day, maybe? Mm. It's possible. I don't know. Possible. I, I, I kind of think they were just trying to trying to give it more of the feel of being of it being a real-time thing because it, it already it wasn't very much a real-time thing at all. They released all the videos at the same time and then, you know, if there was just silence for the rest of the day, then then you really lose the feel for of it being a of a real time event. But by doing this, I mean it wasn't much; it was a small little thing. But, but at least they sort of kind of gave the feel of okay, we started in the morning and we're done in the afternoon, and let's do it again tomorrow. You know that kind of thing. Yeah, that's my feel. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of, of releasing videos, uh, they did come out all at once for a, a, that day's worth of, of content mm-hmm. uh, at 10 a.m. Pacific, uh, as you might imagine. I'm still watching them. I don't know about you guys, but yeah, I'm still yeah. catching up. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as you might imagine, time zones are hard. And so one of the complaints is that talks landed at 7 p.m. or later for folks in Europe uh, and at 11 right, p.m. Right. or later for other parts of the world. There's there's no good way of dealing with that. I mean, yeah. let's be honest, it's actually a lot better when you think about it than real in-person WWDC because... If you didn't make it in and, and get over the uh, the jet lag of physically being there, you would be waiting later in the day <laughs> for the videos to come out. I don't understand. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. And, and if you got up the next morning and at 10 o'clock started watching the videos that were released at 7 o'clock the night before, you can always pretend that they just came out. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, like, let's take the same logic, right? Like, oh, talks landed at 7. Okay, cool. But they all landed at 7, which meant that, yeah. like, you know, eight hours worth of day would have passed. <laughs> right, if you're in three in the morning before that one session you actually cared about is actually live streaming. Oh, right, um, right. right. Well, look, look at it this. Look at it this way from the salad bar point of view. We're never going to be able to go to a salad bar anytime soon. And last in 2018 and 2019, I assume because I was at tw- I was there at the place. But I mean, uh, 2018, I remember specifically that you had to wait until two o'clock Pacific time for a specific session to come out. I mean, you know, because they were actually broadcast live 
live during the day as they were being presented, which was phenomenal considering, you know, the challenges they've had over the years to do that. And, you know, in 2018, they were they were showing three different videos at the same time. So you could, it was like being at WWDC. Mm-hmm. You had to pick your chat, your session you wanted to go to right. and start watching it. And then you had to wait like an hour or two for them to finish post-production and put it up online, right? So um, depending on where you were in the world watching these things, you either had to, if you wanted to catch it live, you could, right? It might be 2 o'clock in the morning for some, mm-hmm. some poor people, depending on where they live. Um, but, I mean, like for me, it was it was all, you know, time shifted by three hours. And, um, you know, so I had... I had to be prepared to sit through dinner at eight o'clock at night and watch it, watch a video, a kind of thing that you know, equivalent of five p.m. Right? Um, and you know, this year it was like they presented you know thirty videos at a time and said, "Dig in, folks." Well, I guess not. It's a hundred issues, so say twenty, twenty per day, kind of thing, right? And you basically got to go and have some shrimp and try some of the you know the uh, the potato salad and grab some spinach and you know, like you got to choose what you wanted to do in the order you wanted to do it in so i think from yeah. that point of view that's phenomenal like to be able to yeah. and you never had the case which which always seems to happen for the live event where at a certain session time you want to go to all three of them right and then for yeah. the next one mm-hmm. you don't want to go to any of them right Right. exactly exactly that's and you had to wait two hours for it to come out yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. yeah yeah yep yeah it's, it's definitely a huge improvement over that where i have looked at the schedule and said wait a minute did, did they did they schedule this on purpose like obviously everybody wants to listen to these three topics at the same time yeah and, yeah. and yeah. obviously no Nobody wants to listen to any of these three topics at the same time. Like you gotta, gotta spread those out better. Um, and and yeah, so yeah. it's a very long-winded way for me to say, like, I understand that, that it's less than perfect because time zones are hard, but I wouldn't look at it negative because this is an enormous, fantastic improvement over years past. Yeah, for sure. The only yeah. thing I could say they might do is like adjust it by a couple of hours, but then you're really just shifting the problem around of who ends up having like the terrible sucky time, right? Yeah. The other the other thing too about is actually being at at the event, right? I mean, like, you know, if you're at the event, you know that you had to stand in line for 20 minutes or 30 minutes before, like you had to get in line to get a good good spot, to get a good seat, um, even in the big giant rooms. I mean, uh, admittedly, the, the McHenry Center is much bigger than, than Moscone West in terms of the amount of uh, seating in a particular particular auditorium, but um, you had to stand in line for a long period of time. You had to funnel in, and at the end of it, you had to funnel out like cattle kind of thing, because, you know, there were, even though the doors were wide, you still had to do, that was that, that whole part pain point is taken away the commute from one session to another if you want to call it that and the other thing too is like like so i went with with my colleague sue and so the two of us would look at the schedule in the morning and go okay well we both wanted to go like mark said we both wanted to go to two sessions at the same time right so she would go to one and i would go to the other and then we would tell each other whether that one was worthwhile or what have you right so and a lot you know so a lot of times we would we didn't we didn't some of the sessions we went to together but a lot of them we went separately because you know for, for different reasons we 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 covered more ground by going to different sessions at the same time at the same time because because of conflicts and scheduling right so all of that was taken away from us because except for except for if you're doing watch parties like you know uh, we did watch parties I did three or four of them uh, during the week where you know one of them was Jaime was on a couple of them and um, Ed and I were on a few of them and Tammy and, and Alexis were on another one with me and then it was sort of like we put up a list of you know five or ten sessions that were that were available that day and we decided between us as sort of a mob which one we would go to and like i even mentioned the, my my favorite talk on the i think the first or second day was was the uh, what's new in swift ui and yet i got voted out of being able to see that one right so that's there's also there's lots of different ways to slice it up but i i really enjoyed the, the fact that you know it was sort of the netflix of of wwc you could pick and choose 
you could binge everything or you could just, you know, uh, go off and, you know, take a little bit here or take a little bit there, right, kind of thing, right? And I'm doing that now. Like, I've, I've actually watched a couple of sessions now that, that uh, for various different reasons, uh, the app didn't recognize that I'd actually seen them. But, you know, I, I started watching going, oh, yeah, I've seen this one again. But anyway, some of them are so deep, you want to watch them a couple of times to sort of absorb everything. So I, I really like this format. Another good thing is, and they started doing this last year uh, in the post-production, but when you when when you have a, a session that's just by nature, you know, fairly broad in some cases, they, they'll try to fit a bunch of different topics into, into one session. And if you're only interested in one of those smaller topics, you still have to, you know, sit through the, the rest of it uh, or watch in before they started doing what they did last year. You'd have to watch the whole video just to get to the part that you cared about or fast forward through. But last year they started in post-production, they started breaking it up into topics. Yes. Yeah. And so now they're doing that completely this year. And it, it really lets you just focus in on, on exactly what you want to be listening to or watching. Uh, and you might not, you know, you might care about, you might care a lot about the, you know, the 30 minutes in the middle of the stock and not care about the first 15 minutes, the last 15 minutes or something like that. So you don't have to sit through on either the time on either end just to get to the meat of it that you care about. So I think that's yeah. another positive. Yeah, there was a comment somebody made about the fact that, that this sort of the first time that they've ever done these sort of five or 10 minute videos. But like you said, they were last year, I want to call them the design series. They had like, you know, each day they would have like a, a design series, but it was be, it would be three different speakers talking about three different, almost like lightning talks, right? Talking about different things, but put into one session. And like you said, when they went now, if you go back and look at them um, after the fact, they're broken up into three separate videos. Like uh, if you look at the 2019 or 2018 videos, right? But yep. uh, if you wanted to watch them live at the time, you had to watch sit through all three, like you said, right? So I think maybe I'd want to go in and, and start talking about some of these top 10 and see sure, okay, how yeah. they match. So, so, so 10 is advances in UI collection view. I did not see that. So are these, are these in, has he said it, whether these are in order or they're... He says the 10 talks and he does them in reverse order, which implies that he's leading up to the one that he thought was the best. Okay, right. Although I don't think it actually says that in the text, so I'm speculating here. Advances right. in UI collection view. I, I did not see that. Did either so of you guys see that? That is the one I video did, yeah. that I have watched <laughs> of the whole, yeah, yeah, except yeah. for the keynote and the uh, and the, the uh, State of the Union. That was the one video I watched. And yeah, it was good. But as he says, it's kind of an overview of all of the different collections view topics that they have to talk about and they're spread out over other talks. So this gives you a nice big picture of, of what is new in collection view is like what's new in the diffable data sources, et cetera, um, compositional things. Uh, but, and bring the to, list over to the list yeah, metaphor over. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But to get to the meat of it, you have to watch all the other talks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I definitely watched this one. On, this was like, this one came out on day one. I watched it right away. And this is mm-hmm. probably the, one of the best ones on that day. Um, yeah. Let's move on to the next one. Yeah. Number nine is app essentials in Swift UI. I did not see this one, but I saw tons of tweets about this. Like, I kind of feel like mm-hmm. I don't even have to watch it anymore as I saw all the, <laughs> all the screenshot examples of like, oh my God, all you have to do is just use app main and app document window and like you've got a document-based app. I'm like, all right, cool. I feel like I got yeah. the gist of that. Yeah, I mean, all like I said, the Swift UI sessions have all generally been pretty good. And, and there's different different uh, aspects to it. There's one I watched today uh, where they talked about the structure of, of a Swift app, which was really kind of cool. It wasn't this this particular one, but I do definitely, definitely want watch this one for sure um, and uh, remember enjoying it. So, yeah. Writing tests that fail, that's ne- number eight. Uh, I have it on my list, but I never got around to watching it yet. So have you seen this one? I've not seen that Maybe. one. No? All right. So because I was with, you know, uh, super genius uh, Alexis on, on Tuesday morning, um, he and, and I and Tammy watched Unsafe Swift, and I'm still scratching my head after this one. But oh. um, I, I thought that this was more about, and I think it is more about the sort of, uh, I do remember that that, you know, 
when you when you want you need to address uh, C-based stuff and and sort of the real low-level things, um, you have to use uh, unsafe uh, what they call unsafe Swift to, to access. Uh, I believe it's pointers and things like that. Don't don't at me, people. But um, well, that's that's one use for it. But yeah, yeah. But another use for it. I'm actually looking forward to watching this one a lot because I've I've actually done quite a bit with this stuff and it is kind of a pain. Uh, so and it wasn't really. It's not really well documented. You have to kind of figure out things a lot about how it works and and so if, if this is if this is some the actual real the uh what was it the missing manual how's that yeah. for a, a throwback <laughs> a reference, reference. <laughs> who gets that one uh, unsafe switch the missing manual uh if it is like that i'm actually really excited that they're doing that um but but what i was using it for and i think what most people are using it for is anytime you have to uh like say you have a a, a data object right something that that is of data type which is really just a it's a swift encapsulation of just raw binary data right just a a, a just a, a list of bytes for whatever reason uh and you know there's lots and lots of different ways you might care about that like you know if you have you know if you're if you're having uh uh image data or something like that and uh, or or some stuff that you pull in off a network that's that's you know um serialized json or whatever it all is is handled by these data objects uh most of the time in regular swift you don't have to worry about what the underlying bytes right. are doing because yeah. there's this high level apis that let you do whatever you want but if you ever do have to access those underlying bytes you have to use this kind of stuff uh, and and yeah. this is these are the approaches that let you do that so in objective c uh it was really easy because essentially you could just it, uh, you know a, a data object was kind of just an array you know you could have an and and you could just get you could access by index and get the actual byte uh, that it was but you can't do that in swift it's, it's too protected so you have to use these you know with unsafe buffer or with unsafe pointer kind of thing to access the underlying data. So I was doing some sort of lower level networking stuff at one time in the past where I really needed to uh, dig in and, you know, manually uh, parse binary data that was coming in off of a, off of a, of a socket. Uh, for that, that's that's where this kind of stuff comes in. So I'm really looking forward to this, this missing manual talk. I've already convinced myself that that's what it is, but it probably isn't. Right, good, right. <laughs> yeah. I hope it is. So, yeah, I just want to jump back to advances in UI collection view because I, I mentioned last week that, that Mark should watch that one for sure but the the one thing I think I think it was this one but it was one of the collection view ones and and there's another related topic there's one called building for iPad which is very similar to this that one talks about um, what they call primary and supplementary views um, but uh, the, uh, the, the the this was basically I think this was the talk or one of these collection view talks where they said they really encourage you to stop using table view controllers um, and because a lot of what the work they're doing they've added this list list cell type into into this and a lot of the sessions cover the sort of more mechanics of that list cell and and how they're they're managing to control the collection view you've got the you know you've got the collection view itself you've got the layout and you've got the the actual cells and stuff um but yeah they they very pointedly said you know they almost said stop using table views people you know so that's just i wanted to point that out before we moved on All right next up Jaime. we've got uh build with ios picker sorry i had scrolled accidentally when i moved my mouse and i was like oh crap where i lost track my my pointer uh build with ios pickers menus and actions which i've not seen but he points out is paired up with the design with ios pickers menus and actions and i didn't take a look at that one i did not realize it was the equivalent of the what's new in coco touch box so maybe maybe this will, will go further up on the list for me to watch 
Yeah, this one, I watched this one a couple of days ago, maybe yesterday. Uh, this is quite good. It talks about the changes in date picker um, and, cal- and calendar view, uh, among a few things that were sort of been kind of niggly. If you've ever had to deal with dates in the past, you had those stupid, you know, scrolly wheel things that you had to deal with. So now you can more specifically get right to the date, and it brings up a calendar view instead of this goofy, you know, roulette wheel thing that they had. Um, and the, the menus and the actions, I think, is the new thing. Um, it was something new in this one that they talked about. But yeah, this is a, definitely a good one. And it's and it's sort of, they go through the very, there's probably five or six different types of controls that they go through uh, in the, in this talk. It's a good talk for sure. So have they deprecated that old roulette wheel style finally? That was one of the last remaining skeuomorphic holdouts. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah. in iOS 7, never, they changed You never the control the layout of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could, like the problem I had was when I started, when I had the, um, uh, like Pi Day Countdown, for example, is a dark, it's almost like a dark mode app. Like it was designed that way. And I always had this goofy, bright, white, you know, <laughs> date picker in the middle of it, which was always drove me crazy, but because you could never change the background color of it or something like that, right? But uh, well, what you, but there was a hack for that. that you could yeah, do, I you just could... never got around to it. Okay, yeah. Never got around to it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, or I, or if I did it, it kind of, I don't know, I can't remember. It it's been so work. long since yeah. I looked at it. Yeah. But, but yeah, this this was a good talk in terms of, it covers more than, like, it's it's almost like it should say et cetera at the end, because it's a, it's quite a deep one, for sure. The design ones, I watched a couple of design ones, and they're, they're, they're very designer if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the one that says design with iOS pickers here. Okay, next on. Next one I haven't watched at all. I haven't watched any of the StoreKit stuff yet. Yeah, introducing StoreKit testing in Xcode I've not seen. It's probably worth watching though because it actually is possible to do now. Nice. Yeah, I, I did see an overview of it. If, I don't know if I did watch this one. Hmm. I have to look at my... But this is the one where you basically can... You can now do mock purchasing which you couldn't do with, with subscriptions or with any purchase before. You just kind of had to go, I guess it works. You know, short of, short of actually going going in and buying something, you really couldn't sort of figure out whether whether things work. We've, we've used uh, in-app purchases before, and, and uh, they've always been challenging. Um, so I think in one case, somebody wrote a sort of a, you know, a, 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 what do you call it when they write a framework, I guess, that, that lets you uh, lets you use the sort of, gets gets through all the sort of Apple craft to get something working. Um, but yeah, this this looks pretty cool. I haven't watched it, though. Oh, widgets. Yeah, I want to watch build Swift UI views for widgets, but uh, I've not seen that one yet. It, it looks you know, pretty important if you're going to go down the widget route. What's next, Tommy? When we saw on the watch party, data essentials in Swift UI, which I'll be honest, I'm, I'm not quite as versed in the content, so I don't know if any of it was particularly new, but it helped solidify my mind at least a little bit more, right? It'll, it'll take practice mm-hmm. to really get this and, and give advice, but taking their advice and sort of trying to internalize, oh, when do you use the different kinds of data passing uh, mechanisms like um, state and properties and binding and etc. for Swift UI. I thought that was pretty helpful because there are a lot of options and it's not necessarily obvious to me, at least, which one you should use in which circumstances. Right. Well, this is the one with your buddy, uh, what's his name, Cliff? Yeah, Kirk Clifton, who Kirk uh, Clifton, yeah. came out of the Seattle Xcoders group, was one of the oh, presenters. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and, it, and the, the house style for these videos is more noticeable for me uh, knowing Kirk Clifton, you know, in person. I was like, oh, uh, it's kind of a little bit of a different person. Um, um, which was amusing to me and why I, I had to ask. I was like, oh my gosh, like, is Greg Hio in any of these videos? I have, I know yeah. what Greg is like. I have to see 
Greg. Yeah. Apparently not this year. So holding out hope for next year. Let's see. Yeah, Let's see what he's like. Though. Hmm? Greg's a good presenter, though. Yeah, but that doesn't that mean fun. that that he's able to be himself under direction, right? Yeah, I want to no, see what happens. Did, I have to say, I mean, I, I've noticed in I've noticed in some of the talks in the previous years that you know there's some guys who are just. I mean, a couple of them I recognize from the videos this week, but um, sometimes you get guys who are who are just very good at presenting, but they've got they're, they're sort of like the presenting is the, the thing they're good at, not the content that they're presenting. You know what I mean? Like it's sort of almost like the performance is it's very very much a performance, right? Um, others are just more natural about it, or like they're just casually talking. Like a couple of guys on the first first couple of days who talked about the uh, collection view stuff, they're very matter of fact, you know, senior engineer type guys, just laying it out there for you. And then sometimes people are just in panic mode, full panic mode, right? And um, we didn't, I didn't see any of that this year, but I mean, like some of the live talks I've seen, I've seen that where you know you feel like you, you, know, you want to hug the person afterwards for making it through, but. Um, uh, I, I have seen some really odd performances. Just you know, uh, I mean, t- sorry, performance. Yeah, I guess let's call it that. Uh, in this, in these videos, but uh, I think it just maybe you know some some people have such idiosyncratic personalities that just it comes through, right? So direction definitely matters. I mean, if you've ever seen Natalie Portman and uh, Hayden Christensen in things outside of the prequels, you can see that they're actually pretty decent actors. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I guess, and it, it is it is clear that. That a lot of a lot of times um, people are people are you know reading um, a script right. I saw one today. A young young lady was doing. It was actually on um, more on. It was the Safari uh, extension thing uh, where you can now build um, web web browser extensions. Um, and her presentation was was you know interesting. It was obviously not nothing to do with with native code or whatever, but it was all um, uh, web web stuff. But um, um, it was just a different style of presenting. But but I could definitely see that she was you know it wasn't her words well okay so it's a little bit different though right because these are are it's much more intimate right like it's like you're having a one-on-one coaching session with them and and it is a very tough job you know presenting live or on camera so i i can appreciate that that some folks it, it may have been their words it may not have been they could have just been like i'm i'm not good at presenting i need you know this safety net to you know to have me go through this i could get that but in terms of the the gesturing thing, I'm going to assume that you know it's kind of like the way that actors are different when they come from Broadway plays versus being in you know movie theaters, where you kind of have to really sell it because the, the people in the cheap seats need to be able to see it, right? So right. it's almost like Kabuki theater that like you really have to over gesticulate so that people can see it, uh, you know, yeah. in the cheap seats at WWDC, but also uh, you know the video that they have is not going to be cropped super tight, whereas in this case, it, it kind of looked like your friend was taking a video of you and you're presenting kind of thing. So it's they didn't have to, to oversell it that way, I think. Yeah, just just as a sidebar here, I don't know if you guys have seen this. There's a cute little video um, floating around. I'll, fi- I'll find a link for it. But um, it's this little toddler talking to her parent, an uh, Italian Italian girl. And you can't understand a word she's saying. But if you look at her hand gestures, she's doing the, like the Italian, you know, like, like what are they thinking kind of, and her hands go up to her side and, you know, like, and she she gestures from her head like you know what you know the brain exploding kind of like but in a two-year-old and it's amazing so i think sometimes you know the way the way you you use gestures and stuff like that like some people just stand there like calmly and and deliver other people like i said sit back casually and kind of they're almost like leaning back in their chair delivering and other people are just you know they're just the gestures are just you know part of the cell right part of what they're doing right i I can tell you like i i you know i've done some video stuff in the past and and uh it's very tough 
have to be directed by somebody. Like, you know, you got to smile more when you're shooting or you got to move your move your hands less or move your hands more. It's like it's very tough to sort of be animatronic and deliver technical content. I'm also amazed whenever I see and I've seen it a few times in this this thing and I don't know whether it's been cut together, you know, cuz there's a lot of times you can see there's been definite cuts in the way that that the performance is done like it's not a 10 minutes you're standing in front of an audience giving a, a talk. It's 10 minutes of video finally produced, right? Which is great because then, you know, it, it gets rid of all the sort of clutter that a bad performance can do. But the ones that do the live coding are, are, are amazing. Like, you know, whenever they, they sit and they just sit down at their computer and they just, it just comes out. And, you know, we've seen so many bad demos in the past where, you know, like the projector's not working or the, you know, the Mac starts acting up or they run out of power or whatever. All the sort of demo god kind of stuff that can happen when you're, when you're doing live. But so a few, a few of these things I've seen where, you know, and, and I think the next one we're going to talk about is, is sort of a live coding demo as well, right? So, which I haven't seen. I, I saw that the Swan, Swan's Quest, which is number number two, um, I don't know if you guys have seen any of these, but I think there's four of them in this series. Um, and it's kind of, I think, building a game and they cover different topics in the four sessions, right? In so, Swift Playgrounds, think. right? So it's supposed to be more is? accessible okay. for um, people starting to get into development, I guess, is right. the concept. Okay. The, the conceit is the helping the swan on their quest. Is that right? I haven't seen those, but I got the, the impression that that was uh, the whole idea for them, that it's really supposed to be more hands-on so you you learn how to code or or maybe learn whatever topics they're talking about they're covering yeah. yeah yeah I did hear a lot of chatter on, on online about the about this people loving loving the concept or the way it was done I think Paul says he loves it here too right it's one of those advantages for having the very um, fantastically produced videos that they had this year right this this would have been really yeah. hard to do on the stage right right yeah and engage people too I guess right yeah yeah and number one rounding things out is embrace Swift type info which I'm sure there are people who enjoy that. I don't think it would have been in my top 10. I'm not going to knock it. No, it's, it's, it's important not. if you need it. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably not going to watch this one unless it becomes very, very you know, pertinent to something I'm working on, I think. I mean, quite honest. Yeah, I think, I think uh, yeah, I, I saw this one and kind of thought, you know, again, like I said, when you're trying to you know judge a book by its cover, um, this is one that, that wouldn't have been given a star by me in the app. I definitely would have uh, come at it later. I haven't watched this one either, but... I'm thinking this is going to be the uh, the network framework talk of this of this year. If you remember that one from a couple of years <laughs> yeah, back, yeah, the one that which we still haven't watched yet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I, but that was a great talk. I, I actually I do have to say about that one just as an aside that I may have watched it. I watching remember. it live was actually better than watching the videos. I think they edited it a little bit, so it wasn't as right. Yeah, good. But anyway, yeah. Well, I mean, like for me, the the one where the guy X the guy launched Xcode and started debugging Xcode and then launched another Xcode and debugged that. Xcode. It's like, hey, yo, dog. I, you know, I debug Xcode in my Xcode kind of thing. Was that was an amazing talk that where he was he was showing how to basically put a breakpoint in, and rather than uh, just you know read the variables and whatever and then run it again, he actually went in and changed the actual response and then carried on you know with the thing. And I think the astronaut was jumping or something like that in the in the demo. But that that particular talk, I think it was from uh, 2018, was just amazing. Right, the the debugging in Xcode one. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, we've digressed. Yeah. All right. Yeah, of the, I mean, I mean, definitely for me, what's new in Swift UI was was one of the top ones for sure. Uh, build for iPad was definitely a good one too. I'm just looking at the ones that he's recommended. Um, Explorer App Clips is really short. It's, I think that's a five minute one for sure. And and the, I think I mentioned last week the what's new in Swift is if you followed along with our podcast and you've been keeping up with what's been changing in uh, in the 
in Swift.org. There wasn't anything really surprising in the What's New in Swift talk. And and like Mark said last week, that's a good sign because it means that, that the, the language is maturing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also think this sort of session, given the open source nature of Swift, that it's not like we wait for that one time a year where we see what's new. It's, it's coming out constantly and it's very much in view. I'd say there is a place for this kind of video if you look at it differently as like, oh, did you did you not keep up with all of that? You know, life happens, work happens, you know, maybe it wasn't really uh, important to you. Um, now in this, I don't know, I'm assuming it's like a 20 to 40 minute session. Now in these 20 to 40 minutes, you can catch up on all of that, right? Just go through this really quick sort of boot camp sort of thing. Of like, just give me everything of the basics. I think there's a place for it, but uh, I think the what's new in Swift sort of uh, more increasingly has become less interesting for me to watch because, you know, on this very show, we tend to keep up with that sort of thing. And that's not to say that there isn't a place for it, um, but it, it maybe should be, you know, what's new in Swift recap, right? So like, so there's not like, oh, uh, is there something they haven't shown us yet? I mean, hopefully not. Hopefully it's all yeah. out there in the open. You got to remember, most people aren't hosting a, post- a podcast, so they're not keeping up to date on things. As well, they should be listening to this podcast <laughs> and then they would be kept that's up to date true. with things. Well, that's true. That's true. Get that, <laughs> yeah, that subscribe You got to pass on that one. Exactly. Yep. By the way, he's mentioned here again, even in, in the second last paragraph of this section that uh, he says, if you want to treat yourself to embrace type swift type inference again. So I think definitely, I think Paul thinks this definitely is the networking uh, talk of uh, yeah. WWC 2020. Right. Cool. So, and of course, you know, he mentions the James Dempsey and breakpoints, which was uh, for charity. So if you want to go run over there and have a look at that one, it's uh, supporting, um, Black Girls Code and Nova Code Collective and Digital Youth Divas. Um, so check that out. Well, I think I had a link in the show notes and I'll have a link again this week. So enjoy the leaky song. All right. Is that it for this uh, Hacking with Swift dude? I think so. All right. Which, what else you got first there, homie? Next one is an article that I read, but I have not seen the session, so I mm. maybe got about half of it. Uh, is by uh, Mr. John Sundell. It's getting started with Widget Kit, and right. as I look through this, I feel like ah, yeah. So this way that widgets work, you know, when I saw it described in in the keynote or the platform state of the union, I can't remember where they talked about it. Uh, I said, oh, I bet this works a whole lot like glances on on the Apple yes. Watch, and it, it felt yeah. like it was going to be that. And when I look at this code, I'm like, yeah, it looks like it does. So you have uh, you know, this snapshot view that the system can just pull up whenever it wants very, very quickly. And, and you shouldn't do any time critical stuff. It needs to be, give me a snapshot of what you got, right? A point in time. But you've also got the uh, the timeline provider concept of, all right, cool. Give me a sequence of entries that would make sense over time. And you get you know more uh, capability to go ahead and uh, do some processing, maybe do some networking, et cetera, to go get that information. And that's kind of what this article is, is in a nutshell. Right, like I—I'll be honest. I, I don't think I could just take this as is and go get it to run because I probably need to go watch the session and see where some of the stuff is supposed to go. But I did notice things like, oh, uh, in the very—is it the very first? Yeah, the very first code sample I see at main. I'm like, oh, I bet you for the Swift, uh, sorry, for the widget target that at main is probably the main thing that runs for that target, right? Very similar to the way that at mm-hmm. main for your your app target is the one that you know does all the magic, so you don't have to do a lot of the 
sort of boilerplate stuff we've done historically. That seemed pretty neat. Yeah, I mean, and so there's a there's a couple of um, talks on widgets. So one of them was very di- designery, and it was more about like what, you know talking about when you should use the different size widgets. Like there's a small, medium, large size, and uh, we've always, as we've always said on the show, the medium one is just le- lost leader for the large one. But uh, and how to transition from one to the other. But that was a very uh, design specific talk. Um, so just be be wary of that one um, unless you were a designer and you want to dig into how it's how it's meant to be designed. Um, that was good. I also wanted to point out too. I, I didn't put a link in the show notes here, but um, I watched a talk on um, uh, by Muhammad Azam uh, on. Um, I got so inspired with by all the talks that uh, I dropped all the Android work I was doing and, start, and switched over to uh, back to looking at some of my apps. I go, every year I go back into devi- device tracker and look at how I can uh, improve it for um, for uh, you know with a new new look and feel. And so I'm kind of looking at it now and sort of playing around with it and um, uh, looking at how to you know improve the because the the core data talk I went to was very interesting because it, it uh, or watched I should say it uh, was very inspiring in terms of how. Core data is now working a lot better a lot smoother with with uh with ui kit anyway because i think i mentioned to you guys on the slack that i was looking to see if they had done anything with core data and swift ui there is some stuff there but uh but interesting you had to choose uh to choose uh, a ui kit to work with it um but the talk is called understanding grids in swift ui for ios 14 and uh it's a medium talk but it's backed by a couple of videos that he's put up on youtube um talking about how they work and and so as i was saying at the top of the the, the top 10 list there that the advances in collection view is that they're they're sort of uh they're replacing the the table view metaphors of you know the accessory view and and the, the text and the cell image and cell or label and image uh with more collection view kind of things and they're more dynamic and they scale better and you can have sf symbols in there um so yeah if you're definitely interested in how the 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 fixed width columns or adaptive columns whether it's three or four or wide on your device um, and what actually goes into an actual cell. Um, uh, Muhammad Azam does a good talk on it. Actually, Paul Hudson also has a good talk on, on his uh, hacking with Swift on, on using uh, grids in Swift UI, which is kind of cool. So check those ones out for sure, and I'll have a link in the show notes for those. All right, we're into the fix. All right. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, so uh, just as a quick one here, um, it, one of the examples that he talked about is this Frutia, Frutia, Frut, Frutia, I can't say it, um, app that they used in the, the, um, the demos. Uh, I, I guess I forgot to mention earlier in the show. It's a an app where you can have order smoothies, right? And uh, there's a couple of different talks that cover, that use this app in the talk. One of them is, is on using, a lot of, a lot of talks on, on using previews and Code, which are kind of cool now. You can this one. This one particular talk uh, was at was about adding uh, like a library, like adding library items to. Um to your your Xcode environment, so you, if you're working on a team, or whatever, you could build like a mod, like a, a, a design a cell and put it up in in your Xcode environment, and then people can pull it out of their of their you know library objects kind of thing, and, and have it like with some some boilerplate uh, st- uh, static text and images, and you can change them out and that kind of stuff. And that was a good talk. But the the app that they talk about in that particular talk and a few other ones is this Frutia thing. And here is a link to the app on Apple's developer site. Uh, is it so? It's a demonstration of Swift UI um, and talks about, it, it, as it says here on the tin, 
building a feature feature rich app in Swift UI, and this one runs on Mac OS 14, uh, Swift UI uh, on iOS and iPad, and it, and it basically embraces all of the stuff that they talked about in sort of an overview uh, of all the talks that they did this week um, or last week, I should say, uh, on this. So check out this this app, uh, Futia, building feature rich app with Swift UI. So okay, are you guys ready for my rant? This is interesting. I'm very sure. curious because you put, <laughs> so, so so people can't see our uh, our secret show notes that we use to to put this very show together, and I do not understand what Tim has written here. So I was yeah. very curious to hear about this part. So uh, the Apple Design Awards came out. I we should take a quick two seconds to talk about the Design Awards because we uh, there was what ten ten awards that were given out this year is less than they normally do. I think um, two of which were one of which was one of our our previous uh, picks, uh, staff. Pad, which was which I talked about, is a way of writing uh, with with the pencil, writing out um, uh, no, notation, writing music uh, in in notation format on the iPad, and, and it's uh, it's ported over from another one. But of course, it won an Apple Design Award. What's interesting this year about the presentation is is normally you get John Delante giving a sort of talk and a demonstration about what it is and why they chose these particular apps. Um, uh, so it's interesting to see that. But anyway, we that was one of our picks uh, from from many moons ago. We've also talked about uh, Where Cards Fall, which is an app by the people that brought us Alto's Adventure and Alto's Odyssey. Uh, it's a snowman group is a company from Toronto, but they they, mer- they worked with another company to come up with this this con- this arcade app called Where Cards Fall. We've talked about that on the show. Um, but the one I want to talk about today is is called Shaper 3D, and it won an Apple Design Award. And I gotta say, if you take if you do nothing else. But if you have an iPad Pro and you have an Apple Pencil, download this app, go through the tuto- to- those two tutorials that they run you through. This is the most amazing app experience I have ever seen in my life. I love this app. It's phenomenal. I've been working in 3D CAD design since I first got my very first Mac. And, and you know, I've, been, I've done Swivel 3D. I've done StratoVision Pro. I've worked with Blender. I started working with Tinkercad a couple of weeks ago because I got a new 3D printer and I wanted to, you know, go what they do they call it remixing you remix your other people's designs i've made some parts for my my own printers and that kind of stuff and i'm and the tools have gotten to the point where it's getting really it's really easy to basically build uh devices and and so i mean i can build objects you know gears for my roomba i fixed my roomba last year by building a gear and, and replacing the broken gear that was in the thing i have a bought a, a set of calipers so i can measure things and these 3d printers can actually pr- produce uh, objects right down to the finest millimeter but the challenge is like where do you find software to do this right so this app right is is it looks a lot like fusion 3d it looks like a lot, lot like autocad and we'll talk about autocad in a minute but you have your ipad it has a grid it's, it's super easy to go from like a, you can sketch out a, a, a shape it gives you very precise measurements you can tap in to change measurements you can scale things if you draw if you start drawing in an arc with your pencil it starts to draw an arc if you can if you close that arc it becomes a circle and you can drag it to make a certain size so if you want to make a 50 millimeter circle or whatever and then of course once you've got this these these primitives drawn like rectangles squares triangles whatever you can extrude them by just pulling on an arrow with the pencil right so your finger is used to select things and and different tools like that but the pencil is used to manipulate and draw the fine drawings and that kind of stuff to sort of manipulate the objects and 
like within you know a couple of minutes you can you can build an object you can poke holes through things you can you know make extrusions you can fillet edges you can make this most be- you can have like circles for for uh, screw holes and you can fillet the edge to have a you know an angle so that the screw head will sit flush when you finish with the thing and then theoretically you could take this object and you could export it to you know any number of formats you could use them in 3D rendering you could use them in games you could use it like an STL file for a 3D printer and all, all that kind of stuff. So that it, from a user point of view and from the grace and use of all the tools that Apple has given us on the iPad, this is a phenomenal, phenomenal app. But, and what these guys are telling you is that the but is on my notes written in uppercase, in bold, with an exclamation at the end of it. Here's my problem with the app. Well, I mean, so let me preface this by saying we've been on this podcast for five years and we've been, Aaron started it, but we've all sort of been been behind it. Um, StaffPad, which I just mentioned a few minutes ago, is not a cheap app. It's, you know, it's several hundred dollars to buy StaffPad. But if you're in the business of writing music and you're doing orchestration and you're, you can, and you know how to write handwrite, you know, music notation, then that is totally a niche market product. Okay. Um, my problem with this app is is there's two levels. There's the free level where you get like a, a you know a two do- two drawing trial, and there's the pro level. And the pro level is in American dollars two ninety nine a year. So basically, you need to spend two hundred ninety nine dollars every year you want to use this app. That's comp- comparable to other three D softwares, admittedly, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, at forty dollars a month, or like in Canadian dollars, it's, it's almost four hundred dollars, like to, to for this thing. So it's super like for me as a hobby. It is. It's almost a slap in the face, right? Because I can't afford to spend four hundred dollars a year on this for something that I might use once or twice a month. If I was doing this every day, if this was my job, if this was my business, believe me, if you were, if you're a CAD developer, if you're writing any kind of CAD at all, you got have to have this app. You can sit on the in a park bench and and do renderings. It's a it's phenomenally easy to use and it's got pretty much all the same like i have fusion 3d on from autocad it's it's almost identical in terms of in terms of features and that kind of stuff it's a, it's a beautiful beautiful app right that's the first problem second problem is as a free user you only get to have two drawings right and in using in doing the two tutorials that they run you through you use up those two drawings and there's no way to delete the drawings oh i see so not not like the oh you only get one project create one well yeah. i guess i'll delete it and then now i've got the one again yeah i i mean maybe i'm an idiot i can't figure out how to delete it but i but you know you've done you've done the first tutorial which shows you how to manipulate the object the second one talk, talks to you how to how to actually draw an object and yet you know so you finish you go through the tutorial and it's like you can't use the app i'm like you know wtf right so that's my second problem is 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 they only they give you a limited use of it but they use it up teaching you how to use the tool and then the third thing is if you if you you finally got this file and you want to export it to STL and try it on your printer, the only option you have as a free user is low resolution. Now, I don't know if you guys know anything about 3D, but when you draw a circle, when you draw like a cylinder or something like in 3D, like you're making a gear or whatever, or like a, a uh, some sort of spindle or whatever, when you when you render that, when you draw it, it's it's basically faces, right? Like, so you will have so many faces around the circle. If you have 24 faces around the circle, it's kind of like medium resolution. So when you print them out, you'll actually be able to see the, you know, the the actual faces that go into a circle. If you want, if you make it like sixty faces, then it's almost imperceiv- imperceivable. It looks like a like a circular object, right? 
So they only let you export this thing in low res, which is even worse than that. So it's almost like you know you build a nice circular object, export it out, and bring it into your three D your three D printing software, and it's it's chunky and it's got like you know it's it's like it's not a circle anymore. It's it's almost like a almost like a stop sign or or whatever the ten sided object is, a hexadecimal or whatever. Um, yeah, so it's like three slaps in the face right off the bat with this app. So I mean, and I thought, well, I can't let this go. I got to go write a review about this because on, on the App Store, let the developer know how I feel about it. And I go in there, and of course, there are already five other reviews saying the exact same thing. This does not address, like, if you're just going to pick up the app and play with it, that's one thing. If you're going to be pro and you're going to subscribe for it and, and pay the pro money for it, okay, that's another thing. Like, if that's what your business is, right? But there needs to be a hobby hobbyist level for this thing. Like, whatever it is you want us to pay, $60 a year or something like that. There's no, you know, hey, I, I, I want to use this for my 3D printer kind of thing. It's a perfect tool for that. Like, wonderful, beautiful. I love the fact, you know, that it works out. Oh, and there's one other thing, too. You cannot use this app without an Apple Pencil. So my first question, well, not my first question, but one of my questions is, how did they get this through Apple review process if it's only able, it's only basically going to be able to run on, on the, the iPad Pro or the new iPad that came out last year? With the, with the Logitech Crayon, and the fact that you can only have the, like, it doesn't, like, I, I don't know about you, but I've seen apps rejected before because they had some sort of goofy requirement that, you know, like, like they were talking about this Hello or Hey app we were talking about earlier, they could, they, Apple didn't like the fact that you had, you had to go to a website to sign up to create an account, right? In fact, Fusion 3D made me do the same thing too, by the way, just for science, but yeah, it's like great app, but the, the business execution is just awful, awful stuff. Anyway, that's my, my, uh, that's the big butt, and that's why I Looks said like here in my notes. Looks like they lowered the price now two thirty nine ninety nine. <laughs> what? I'm looking yeah. at it right now. It's two thirty nine ninety nine. Yeah, oh, so they need to lower to the U.S. and it's two thirty nine ninety nine, and your Canadian one is three nineteen. Yeah. Well, maybe 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 in response to the to the, the feedback, I don't. Know, I can't read the American reviews anymore because they've split out the iPad, and I can't read iPad reviews anymore on on. Or maybe I can. Oh, here they are. Yeah. Can you read some of the U, the U.S. reviews to me? Amazing um, value. Of Amazing app is the first one that yeah. shows up on my list. <laughs> they're pretty much, they're almost all five stars. Okay, one of it, one is five-star app, but zero-star monetization. Okay. Yeah. That seems to agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Oh, immediately, as soon as I went oh, over they responded. I... Let's see what they say. Uh, developer responds, hi, thanks for liking our app in general. Appreciate that. As for our business model, we believe this gives users the best opportunity to try out the app and make an educated decision on what they buy into. We give the two-week pro trial to check out all the export functionality and if they can use it in a professional environment. But still, I mean, my point is like, like there's there's a missing market for these guys. Like they, either it's a pro app and just sell it to the pros, right? And I can totally see why Apple gave them an award for this. But like again, it should be a big you know stop sign on it saying you know this is only for the serious serious people, right? Like like it's almost it's almost an insult that it's free and that that you know they have to turn. And why is it 17 plus? That's I don't know. I was going to ask you if there was like yeah. some nude models or something that, that come in the base project. Yeah, you're right. The price has gone down. Last Yesterday it was three ninety nine, so they've they've obviously reduced the price since since I started my rant. But um, <laughs> still, it's like you know, it's more expensive than Adobe Creative Suite. All of Adobe Creative Suite, well, you know, I mean, which has a pretty but, big market, though, right? Yeah. But, but to be honest, you know, let let the market take care of that. I mean, if if they have people lining up to pay that price for it, then why should they make it available for cheaper for you to just you know to just you know have them give them more support network uh, nightmares? If if people aren't lining up, and apparently they have 
haven't been because they lowered the price. They'll lower the price down to a point where it's reasonable, and then but it'll be happy. Not everybody will be happy, but most people will be happy. No, I, again, I would not pay three hundred dollars for this a year. Oh, what I forgot to mention too, right, is Tinkercad. I can do just about everything I can do in this app in Tinkercad. Tinkercad is free, right? I can get a free copy of, of Fusion three three sixty, which is like the state of the art AutoCAD app right now. Um, again, it's, it has the same professional uh, kind of subscription model. It's very comparable. I think it's twenty or five dollars a month. Admittedly, that's a little bit less, but um, you can get if you're a hobbyist and you're just doing stuff for your own three D, your own personal consumption, you can totally get a free license from from AutoCAD for that too. So, I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's what's missing is that they're competing against, in my opinion, for for the hobbyists, they're competing against Tinkercad, Blender, and AutoCAD. So, I mean. Yeah, but again, like it, it's, I am so so mixed about this one because it's a beautiful app. I mean, like I swear to God, if if you if you want to have a great, if you know anything about three D, check out this app. It's it's amazing, right? But you know, it's like you know, you you, you it basically as soon it's like the toy, it's like the batteries you know die, the motor dies after the second day of Christmas on Boxing Day, right? That that happened to me once before, but but yeah, like you know, you get this fabulous toy for Christmas and it's busted by Boxing Day. That's how I feel. Yeah, let me. Let me talk a little bit about some of these these thoughts that are coming to mind as I as I listen to what you're saying. So uh, I do think that it's kind of unusual to use up your two drawings like permanently. Like I, I would have thought they would have just given you like one drawing. Like, well, I guess you have to destroy it and then create a new one, right? Well, I mean that's what I did. I went in and I deleted all the objects so I could use it again, right? Yeah. It, it, but then I can't export it to. I can't do anything with it. Like, yeah. All I can do is use the app. That's right? a little extreme, especially because they sort of lead you along the way of like. Like, here's how you use the app. And then after you've gone through the demo and you don't have any more choices, like now how much would you pay that they put right yeah, in front yeah. of you? Right? That's Literally. that's not very user-friendly. A, a lot harsh. of apps do that kind of thing, though. They do. A lot of, a lot of apps let you uh, do something but can't save it, for example. Sure, sure. Which which I think is is, is reasonable. Uh, I think having the, the singular, uh, well, you can only have this one project and then you're going to have to delete it and you know start fresh and anew to do that. The way Tim's describing it sounds like a less common thing that I that I don't think I've seen quite as much. It, it feels worse. Um, now, with regard do, to the, do you have to go through the tutorial? I suppose not, but then how do you know how to use the app? I don't know. Right? It kind of it kind of does walk you through. It kind of just sort of says, here, click here and click here. And, and like it walks you, it has this video that comes up and says, we're now going to do this. And, and you walk through the whole thing. And, and by the time you're done, you're like, okay. I mean, I didn't put my email address in at the very beginning when I first turned the app on. You know, I didn't, I didn't go down the path and you know showed them my credit card and that kind of stuff at the very beginning admittedly but you know like i was gonna i'm i'm hedging my bets right and i was not expecting it to be the experience to be this bad as as a consumer you know and and it's as an app developer i applaud them for for making a product and putting it out there and charging a real price for it i applaud them for that but but it's it's kind of like the the sheep and wolf clothing kind of thing it's like you know or wolf and sheep's clothing yeah wolf and sheep's clothing it's kind of like they lead you down this path. Here, come here. Look, we have this cool stuff over here. And then it's like this, you know, and then you're like in this dead end. Here's an, here's a, here's a, an example. This summer, I went and got a couple of my old Macs. My, I, have a, I have a classic Mac and I have a, a an SE30, right? And they weren't working. So I went and took them all apart and cleaned the, lo- the logic boards, got them back up and running, fired them up, plugged them in, got the keyboard going, put this floppy in, got the software running, and then thought to myself, I can't connect it to the network. I can't get Google to work on it. 
I can't use it for anything. Like I, can't, I basically all I could do is hook up a printer to it. That's what this feels like. It feels like it's it's a dead end, right? Like I'm, that's what computing was back in in the eighties. You worked on something, you saved it to a floppy, and, then, and you were done. You went home, but or you or you fired up a modem and you, and you modemed your application over to Mark's house or something like that. But you know, or you went to a cop like a bulletin board and talked to Tammy for a bit. But you know, it's kind of it, it's such a it, it's a dead end. It's like you know, and then and then, but but my point is to compare it compared to what's in the market today. The fact that I can go online to Tinker, Tinkercad right now and do exactly the same designs I did there, you know, for free. And, you know, I can, and there's a whole, there's a whole slew of things on Thingiverse right now where, you know, basically anything you want to print, any object you think you, you might need, an iPhone holder, or, you know, a, a, ch- a chain for to cover the cable on your 3D printer, all of that stuff's been, been designed by people and put up on Thingiverse, right? And you can go in there and look stuff up. And people are using these kind of tools to build these little widgets that just make a knob, for a broken, a knob to replace the broken knob on your guitar amplifier, that kind of stuff, right? That doesn't require, that's not, that's not even worth $300. It's but barely worth the time. I, it I guess print, I don't, right? I don't get why you're so upset by this. I mean, either they'll figure this out. They were trying an experiment. They'll figure it out or they'll go out of business. Well, so that's what I'm saying. So that, all, 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 I'm not upset. I'm just, I'm just saying this, the, 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 the point is that, that it's the, the business model in this particular case is, is so flawed. I mean, Right. Again, like you know, I get I, I'm, I applaud them for winning the Apple Design Award. I'm telling you, Mark, it's a beautiful, beautiful app. It works mm-hmm. really, really well. But compared to what's else out there, it's like it's kind of like if I had known going in that this was the case, I probably wouldn't have downloaded it in the first place. Like, why waste my time and effort, right? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend three hundred dollars to build a, a new knob for my for my guitar app. I'll go and buy a new uh, buy a new one for twenty bucks. So, you know? so like I said earlier, if they can get enough people to do that because they're pro they're really pro users, then they'll. Mm-hmm. they'll have a business. If they can't, then they'll have to drop the price and figure something out or go out of business. I mean, it's as simple as that. Yeah, I'll make a very tortured analogy towards like sporting equipment, right? So you go to big5sportinggoods.com, you can get a cheap tennis racket made by head uh, for $14.99, $14.99. You can also buy, you know, like the same kind of racket that like Serena Williams might use at $160, which, which probably isn't even accurate. They probably have a specialized version for her. So it's probably a few hundred dollars for her racket and she has several of those that she takes around and i think that's kind of what you're running across tim like you're you're in that weird zone where you kind of need something in between and this one doesn't sound like it's an in-between one for you but you know that's market opportunity you know if somebody yeah somebody can can squeeze their prices or or serena williams will buy would buy 20 of these you know uh 200 rackets right but the problem is the average consumer can afford one right i don't know that average average consumer really applies for 3D CAD modeling, but I, I get your point, though. I, I see. Well, if you have it, like 3D printers are all over the place right now. People are people are using them to make face shields for people to cut to protect them from COVID. That's what people are using 3D printers for right now, right? You know how Amazon has been blocking everything and making every making you wait weeks and weeks and weeks for deliveries. If you order PLA material today, you can get it tomorrow because they know that most people are are building or printing 3D masks. I mean, like that's the reality. Right? It's more at the enthusiast level, right? So we, I bring up my uh, my trusty uh, what brand is this? Is it Hewlett Packard? Uh, let's pretend it's Hewlett Packard. So you know, some twenty five years ago, for my uh, first PC that I myself owned, I had like a three hundred dollar in nineteen ninety seven money, um, pretty nice Hewlett Packard inkjet printer back when that was still kind of a new thing, and it, it did a really good job. And now I have a twenty eight dollar printer that does yeah, basically yeah. the same job and probably better than that 
one would ever did, right? It's, yeah, maybe, maybe. And, and the ink cartridges still cost the same, if not more. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. they probably do cost more. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah. it's like, oh, <laughs> this tricolor thing, um, you're out of blue. Yep. Yeah, so I can't print. Them all away. <laughs> but, but I'm printing black and white. Why can't I print? I was like, no, right. you need to get blue. Maybe the analogy you guys could sink your teeth into, this is the equivalent of a Pro X display, right? Like the, the you know, the high, the, the $40,000. What is it? How much that, that monitor costs? I forget. The monitor, uh, I thought was only around 10000 Well, ten, only 10000 Only 10000 yeah. Drop in the bucket, right? But, I, but, can buy, I can but buy you, two two but, used cars or I can buy a monitor. Which, right. Which, so, which should I buy? so your analogy is good. And yeah. all it means is that this is not the right tool for you for no, exactly. doing your exactly. 3D printing. Exactly. exactly. And maybe, maybe they just you know decided to throw it out there and see what happened. But maybe they have a marketing team and said, you know what? We don't want the people who are just kind of using it to make a guitar knob on their 3D printer because we don't want the support of uh, uh, work that goes with supporting all those people. We only want high-end people. Not high-end, but I mean, you know, pro users, high-end pro users. So we're going to purposely price it out of the out of the market to keep all those casual users out because we don't want them. Maybe. I mean, who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, it, it definitely, like I was saying before, it, it's it's like StaffPad. Like StaffPad is not a, not an inexpensive app. Like you can't. I mean, you probably could download it and try it out. But like right on the right on the tin, it tells you what it costs. Right. Uh, in fact, I don't think you can even download a free version of it. That's my point. Right. You can you can only buy the full full meal deal. Okay. So that, you're right? you're more disturbed about sort of the you see it as sort of a bait and switch kind of thing. Well, where it, it was free, but it's not really free because it's not it's not really usable as a free app. But it's it's, it's, again, it's also typical of Apple to give it give yeah. high praise to an app that that's unattainable for a lot of people. Like like uh, you know the, that wonderful display sounds great, but I'm not doing professional level video, right? Neither are you, right? So right. neither one of us is ever. But Apple does that on purpose, right? They they want a few of them to really just showcase what the technology can do. They don't expect anyone to actually buy it. Well, exactly, <laughs> and that and again, that's what, again what I'm saying. This is why this one won an ADA. Yeah. It, de- it deserves it. Like you know, yeah. knowing a little bit about what I know. You know, this this definitely deserves it, right? Yeah. Anyway, that's it. That's it for me. You probably didn't even buy the I'm a millionaire app back when that existed. <laughs> no, the two hundred dollar Ruby thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Well, speaking, you don't remember that? This is one of the yeah. It was, like a, it was like a di- all it was it was a diamond. It was like you, you got this this app that had a one single view with a with a rig, red ruby on it saying, and it was like nine hundred ninety nine dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just to show that you could board to buy it. That's all it was. Yeah. <laughs> well, to to follow up this story here, and I saw a tweet today. Um, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, just uh, I think the designer who came up with the the um, the uh, I think it's the Apple developer icon um, has pointed out that it's actually a 3D mesh. Go figure! And he shows, but looking at the lines, if you know anything about 3D, you can see that it's not actually just you know three sticks making up an A. So he's challenged the 3D designers out there who probably have a, a professional copy of Shaper 3D to come up with uh, their designs on how to how to do this. And you can see there's a whole thread of of uh, design or uh, 3D designers who've, who've taken an attempt to uh, try and replicate that uh, that uh, drawing. But it, so, it looks like someone figured out pretty quickly how to do it, right? Well, they they did, but then he he sort of said, "Yeah, that's not quite right, right?" So which one? He, the, he, the three planes? He, yeah. No, he says he says that is right. Maybe like this. Is that which one you're talking about? If you if you scroll who's, down, who's he replying? Says, okay, so so the way I see it, so uh, Ed Sanchez was the original poster. Yes, and then Mark Edwards is the first reply. Maybe like this. 
this and he shows this thing and then, then there's a couple of other people doing different things but uh, if you scroll down a little bit further Ed Sanchez then says ladies and gentlemen mystery solved three app icon shapes and he and he reposts the one that Mark Edwards posted so Mark Edwards was the right guy he was the right one yeah, re, yeah. but anyway but it's cool no but it's cool I mean I'm not yeah it's it's nifty because they <laughs> recreated that um you know that classic look you know the silhouette for uh, the um what is this instruments uh, yeah the instruments icon yeah. right um but I also feel like Tim maybe this should have been like the thing that gets you you know <clears throat> that gets you into that pro app right it's like can you figure out what this shape is <laughs> if not then maybe this app isn't for you should have been the yeah, yeah the yeah. better like can you draw this pirate and this parrot anything interesting also, you know, Mark somebody posted a picture of the high res picture of the the Xcode hammer on the new Xcode there's a little X at the very bottom of it where I don't see the that. Mark Edwards posted a there's a little X at the bottom of the hammer and Xcode 12 icon nice but where's he posting that it's on on the same thread I don't know if, when I clicked on it, it scrolled down a bit oh there's a little X at the bottom of the hammer there is I don't even I don't see the I don't see the X <laughs> you have to click on the image to oh you got the image oh, okay oh there yeah <laughs> nice okay that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah some people cool. take this stuff really serious, seriously. They do. They do. <laughs> yep. Imagine that, eh? Yeah. Yep. All right. Next up, Hummy. Yeah, mine is a tweet by Craig at the Dev Me. He said that he had noticed uh, that Apple was using variables for smaller chunks of code, uh, particularly in Swift UI. And he's got a nice little screenshot here of how that works. And I think it's a pretty readable pattern, right? So you can imagine you've got uh, a struct that has a create account view, and you know it, it does set up for a Z stack and a V stack. And then you just sort of read like header, scroll view, main, uh, create account button, which is kind of a weird name. I wouldn't have named it that. But nevertheless, if you really needed to see the details, you can go see, you know, that there is an extension to that create account view that has, you know, what does it mean to create a header? What does it mean to create an account button or to create uh, the main part? I've actually like breaking up views like this um, in or, uh, UI kit, you know, prior to, to Swift UI. And I'm kind of tickled pink that uh, it seems like that same sort of pattern is is happening here. Um, I will say that there is a downside to this style and that it, it is more challenging to read in code reviews, uh, like on GitHub as an example, if you aren't very careful with making sure that you're only putting a, a small amount of code up to review at once. Right? It, it definitely works better with you know code coloring and having the, the full editor there of Xcode. Uh, that is the downside. But I do like the fact that you really only disclose the details to yourself as you need them, which I think is nice rather than like he could have taken everything that was in that code and just shoved it all into the first um, uh, body part uh, element that he has up at the top. And I think this is a nice alternative. Yeah, I do things kind of like this too and I, I like it a lot. Yeah, it makes sense. I feel like it gives you not only some some cleanliness in terms of being able to read things uh, when you need more disclosure, uh, yep. I, I do also feel like it gives you more uh, intent um, behind you know, what is this thing supposed to do, right? Like uh, where that VStack is, he could have just as easily continued with, you know, VStack, text, text, padding, etc. And then you would have been like, what the heck is this? Well, let me go start messing around in Xcode to see what I'm moving around. But now it's actually named header. It's like, oh, assuming it's named halfway reasonably, I'm just going to assume it's the header on this screen, which is nice. So you don't have to guess as to what it is. You don't have to become a, a, a you know, a, a organic compiler in your mind to try to figure out what in the world is this thing.
building, which is a problem I've seen with code before. This is not an X47J3 class. It's a main struct, right? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Which <laughs> I think was one of the things that I didn't really like about um, uh, a lot of the ways that I've seen people write auto layout code where mm. I'm like, dude, I, I cannot tell what's doing what. Like this really needs to be broken up into uh, little helper methods or or even just well-named constraints. So I can say, oh, okay, here's that relationship. Here's that relationship. Here's the other relationship that changes those relationships. Um, I think this follows along the same kind of concept. Mm -hmm. This this method of breaking it up also helps with the what I was calling when when I was first looking at SwiftUI a year or so ago the uh, the new pyramid of doom. Mm -hmm. If you remember, the old pyramid of doom in Swift was the the nested if lets that was finally mm -hmm. fixed with the mm -hmm. with the guard. Well, uh, when you try to start making complicated layouts in SwiftUI, you have a lot of nested vStacks and hStacks. And if you just put them all in your one main body method, then you get this this deeply nested thing potentially. And uh, and so I was calling that the, the new pyramid of doom. But this helps with that because you can you can break it up into more uh, um, component level type things and just uh, just have you know a, a single level of components that show a single level of hierarchy, and then you can descend in to see the next level of hierarchy and so on and so on. Interesting. Okay, I guess that's it for another week. So hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. All right, Mark, people want to get in touch with you? Mark R at Smapsoft.com. All right, and as usual, I'm Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on the Twitter machines where you'll find me. So until next time, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. This is Mike Van Ockmans, MTJC's favorite voiceover artist for some reason. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends. Please leave a comment on the website, and if you can, please write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. So use the hashtag AskMTJC. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on Patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time. Yeah, I do want to go through this through that. Yeah. Yeah. You seem surprised. No, no. I actually started, um, so I was looking at, um, I watched the collection view talk uh, on a few things, and so then I started down the rabbit hole of doing uh, collection view with, with um, Swift UI, mm -hmm. and uh, <clears throat> now I'm trying to go back in. And one of the things that always bothered me about my device tracker is that all the, the, the card, core data stack still sits in the app delegate. I wanted to split it out. Uh, um, yeah. so, what, you're saying, uh... Why is it all sitting in the app delegate? Yeah, because oh. it all it was that was how the template designed it, right? So oh, yeah, yeah. that was the way it yeah, used to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that's how it is now. But uh, so I was trying to break it out, and I uh, just ran into a, a bit of a problem with it trying to get it to recognize. Because the problem is, is that my whole app's in, in Objective C, so I was writing the core data stack in Swift, and then trying to get it to come back in, and yeah, it was giving me grief about that. Because mm. uh, I, I, I saw somewhere that they had like in some of the older examples I looked at, they were using core data as a singleton or. Core, 
the what do you call it the oh the managed object context is that a singleton no definitely not no well I mean it, it can be if you only do anything on the main thread it could be a singleton but but um, but now you don't you wouldn't even do that anymore because well your stuff is pretty old but 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 now they've got this this whole um, view context which returns which returns a context on the main thread so you never need to you never need to make a singleton but you definitely that's in the, in the new way that the new uh, new style of doing that's what I was look, what got me look thinking about it right was yeah just trying to update this stuff right yep but more importantly, in order to get this over to Catalina, I need to adopt the photos um, instead of the UI picker view. Oh, yeah. Photos is pretty easy to use. Yeah. It's, it's just a little bit strange if you're used to UI picker view because it's asynchronous. So you will get you get returned a uh, an ID kind of synchronously almost immediately after a query that you might do. But then you have to load the content asynchronously. Right, right. Either PH asset or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. An array mm-hmm. of assets or something. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And is that, t- is that, ma- is that ma- Basically, like that because a lot of times you can multi multiple select images and well, it's mostly because it's these images are pretty huge, so loading them can take time. And if you do that, you can block your app or try to do it synchronously. Right, right, gotcha. You know what I haven't heard is anything about stability related to the betas. Does that does that mean it's pretty unremarkable and therefore not crashy? I'm not I'm not bold enough to put it on any of my machines, but yeah, the betas sound pretty good. Yeah, people have been been saying they're much sta- more stable than 13 was. Yeah, yeah. So this is the I can hear. Are we going to have the every other year sort of thing where it's, uh, you know, 13 was, was super buggy, 12 was the, the performance yeah. and stability release for the super buggy 11. And maybe 14 is the S year, that's what I keep saying. Yeah, yeah. So it's a complete idiot day today because uh, it's Canada Canada Day and uh, a complete idiot. Those are all firing off fireworks just as we start to record. Oh, I thought it was like somebody running a stable gun or something like that, but then I realized what it was. It's yeah, yeah. We'll pro- I'll probably get some of that too as soon as it gets dark. It's so light out here. Are people people firing off uh, like they would, they would they have fireworks today for you guys? Well, no. I mean, yes, but not because <laughs> it's Canada Day. It's because oh, just because it's. it's- because day, yeah. yeah, it's the, the two <laughs> weeks before Fourth of July yeah. are pretty much always a complete idiot all day. Okay, hang fireworks. on. I'm just gonna I'm gonna close the window here. Hang on. Okay, Tim's just complaining about people lighting off fireworks for Canada Day while he's trying to record. Hmm. So it's not a change from from the norm, is what you're saying? It's typical. Yeah, I think they've been firing fireworks off all all week. But yeah, today's a day officially you can be an, a complete idiot. You know, so they do, right? So they are complete idiots. Okay, so I'm trying to work on two computers today because all of a sudden my uh, monitor has decided it doesn't want to play nice with us. So my, it's funny, you know, I have this one, I have this one trouble problematic 2016 Touch Bar at work, right? That has a, has been known to fry uh, dongles, right? And um, you know, so I, I, it's on the left hand side where the power go, where I guess where the power goes in, but where the power circuitry is. And um, I've always had trouble with it, like you know, burning out Ethernet and whatever, right? And so I've been using it because we've, I've been testing Catalina on it and, you know, waiting for them to come up with an official upgrade plan for us, right? But anyway, so I had been avoiding plugging anything into the left-hand side. And this week I got a little cocky a couple of days ago. I thought, oh, let me just plug my, my big monitor in, you know, and, and, you know, get the two-screen effect going at work like I do at work, right? And uh, it worked for a while and then, you know, never didn't really think about it. And then and then it, it, USB came up and said, USB thing is cho- choosing up too much power. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this monitor thing plugged in. So I just I pulled it out and, and, you know, carried on with my day. Now, whenever I try and plug this, this you know, this dongle I got from China into my, my, uh, my own MacBook, 
it won't it will it recognizes the monitor right because I guess it's plugged in through USB and stuff like that but it doesn't it will not show the dis- like it won't light up the display and I just plugged for science I just plugged in my old uh, MacBook 13 and, and sure enough it's not the monitor that's broken it's the stupid dongle or the port or whatever but I'm telling you these USB-C things man not the biggest fan yeah the cables aren't great or the dongles no. dongles yeah, yeah yeah well I mean the, so the Belkin ones are the only ones that seem to work out of the box for us at work and but the problem is we've gone through like three or four of them that are just you know fried up and I suppose I could send them in for warranty but then I have to find an invoice and you know it's like ugh, <laughs> it's a lot of work for a $25 dongle right so yeah so at my office everyone has the same monitor they're these pretty nice Dell monitors uh, and everyone has a has a MacBook Pro and everyone plugs their MacBook Pro into the monitor with a USB-C slash Thunderbolt cable. And everyone else can power their MacBook off the monitor except me. Oh, really? Yeah, it just doesn't work. Just, just because it's you. Well, it's my, well it's, <laughs> it's my monitor or my Mac or my laptop or or the combination of the two. I don't know. tried multiple cables. You tried, but you tried going to another desk and trying some... Yeah, I actually haven't tried that yet. I haven't haven't tried that hard yet because I just haven't plugged yeah. into the walls. But, but yeah, it's a little annoying. And you tried all four ports and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Right? Yep. And, yep. And if you go under the Apple menu, can, you can, does it recognize that the monitor is plugged in? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it shows the monitor. You know, you can. I can see the monitor. It just hmm. doesn't power it, so I have to have it plugged in. I have to have yeah. the laptop plugged in the wall. And it does it first, actually. Actually, for it does for a few minutes and then stops. How do you mean you have to have the laptop plugged into the wall? You mean you have to have it like with its own brick charging yep. it or something? Yep. Exactly. Yep. But then how does? But can you get the monitor to work at all? Like picture on it? Yeah. Yeah. The, the picture works oh. fine. Oh, it's the charging part. That doesn't work. The charging part, yeah, yeah. Oh, what kind of monitor is it? Like it has a like a I guess a USB out for charging the the Mac. Yeah, that the idea. Oh. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. So kind of like the Thunderbolt display does, but from Dell or whatever, right? Yeah, USB C. Yeah, and it's it's actually well, it's it goes through the USB C high power cable to the Thunderbolt cable, right? It's USB C uh, has two different formats. USB C, right? There's a there's only a low... two formats. <laughs> okay. No, there are two. There are two different formats. Yeah, there's there's the low power and there's a high power version. Oh, I see. Okay, right. And so when you just plug in some kind of like you know plug your iPad or whatever into your well, no, I guess the iPad would be a high power one because it gets charged off it. So anything that gets if, if you want to charge something through USB C, you need the special. It has to use a special high power format. Yeah. Well, there's also the data data transfer cable because I know that like the cable that comes from Apple with your USB charger in mm-hmm. the box is not a data transfer cable. Yeah. Because yeah. I've I've run into that problem and I had to go buy a special cable, a 4K cable or something like that. From yeah. Yep, yep. Somebody was asking me online the other day, or they were asking generally everybody, and I answered him. But he was saying that he's that the I think Apple lists a cable on their website for 5K, which supports 5K for like 125 dollars, and that's US, um, and that's kind of s- steep. And I sort of said, well, that's weird because I I bought this, and I and I didn't realize at the time that when I posted this Belkin cable that lets me do. I thought he was trying to do data transfer because everybody last week everybody was trying to do get Big Sur going on a separate partition and stuff like that, right? And um, uh, I thought he was asking about data transfer, so I told him about this cable. But then I printed, I took, posted a picture of the front and the back, and on the back it says 4K, right? So he was looking for a 5K cable, I guess, to drive his monitor yep. or something like that, right? So do you have a 5K display from Dell? Nope. Is that what you have? Nope, it's not even 5K. Well, it's just a regular, regular crummy old monitor. Wow. Well, it's a big one, <laughs> but yeah, it's a high-end monitor. But yeah, I was hoping not to have to to do something different with this Mac. Maybe what I'll, you know, Carol's going to probably set up upstairs with with uh, the 
older uh, the 2013 so I might take this monitor up there and throw it up there for her um, I'm hoping so I, I did I did uh, I got her blessing to go ahead and, and get the, the, the transition kit so it's on its way it should be here on the 8th of July I believe and I'm hoping I didn't read the specs but I'm hoping it has a display port adapter like most of the um, the MacBook uh, the uh, Mac minis that I have here but I, I have a feeling it doesn't I think somebody was saying online that the ports are different so mm. I'm hoping I mean most of the, my, most of my minis that I run here anyway I run them I run them virtual anyway I don't I don't uh, don't have monitors plugged into them right so it'll be interesting to see when that comes in and we'll talk about that a bit on the show too if we haven't already nudge nudge wink wink um, <laughs> here I'm um, looking at my monitor thinking man maybe I should upgrade my monitor yeah, whether through there? work or or my own equipment because um, I have been feeling for a while this it's just it's just not making do. <laughs> And I say that, so I have the Dell UltraSharp U2718Q 27-inch 4K IPS monitor, and it's... So what's, you know, the, what's the vertical or horizontal re- or vertical resolution on it? Uh, let me see. What's the quickest way to find that? Display right, cool. preferences and then just change so. from the... I think no, I think if you go into the um, if you go if you hold the option key down when you go about about to the about this Apple menu it takes you right to the system system settings or what is it called system information dot 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 and then um, I think there you can click on displays or depends on how it's plugged in USB sometimes and it'll show you what uh, maybe not hmm. yeah I'm not seeing it so I'm gonna go and oh, graphics and displays sorry graphics and displays and then scaled and then try not to mess with it so thirty eight forty by 2160. Okay, so my my out of the box um least LCD LED screen on this this uh, it's a Retina screen on this this MacBook uh, 13 I got here is 2560 by 1600. So 1600 I guess is the the vertical resolution. So what's yours? 3840 by 2160. Yeah, it's still so if you if you go under like if you go under system inf- information you can click on gla- graphics and displays and it should show you the two monitors there. Yeah, this is built in LCD Retina it says. 30 bit color Woohoo! Thirty bits. Yeah, it's it, it's a pretty nice monitor, and it, it definitely has plenty of space when I run it, uh, sort of in its native resolution. But I realized that I, I I really could use a curved monitor to get more things sort of. <laughs> yeah. Well, like that's... as things get to the edges, I'm like, mm, it's kind of less comfortable reading the text on the far oh, left really? and on oh, the far you, right. You need glasses, do you? That's, do you wear glasses? That's the one I have at the office. Um, I'm fairly happy with it, except for the fact that it won't charge my Mac. Huh. You guys have the same monitor? No, I have the curved one. Oh, the curved one. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yep. Interesting. No, at home um, I have the uh, as you as I've mentioned many times, I still have the old Thunderbolt display. Yeah. Which yeah. is twenty five sixty by fourteen forty, so it's respectable, but you know. Yeah. Well, here, let me see. Let me see on this one. I'm not here. It's well. It's it's interesting. I, I keep. I, I don't know what I'm going to put. Um, I can't update my iPad because because I, I pretty much sold it. But um, she's waiting for the other one to come in. But uh, I, I'm trying to figure out how to put um, Big Sur on something to play around with that. Right? Mind you, I got my developer kit coming, and I can do that. Right? It'll probably be running Big Sur. I don't know. <laughs> they discussed this on ATP. I don't know how to pronounce Big Sur in terms of the the emphasis, if there's any emphasis at all. Right? So there's as flat as I can say it. Big Sur. Is big sir, big sir. I'm gonna not think about it and just say it. You tell me how it came out, big sir. I feel like the emphasis flat. was on the first one, on big. No, I think it's flat. Big sir, big, big sir. sir. No, it's big not sir. big sir. It's big sir. Big sir. Big yeah, sir. On the S, I guess. It's on, yeah. the, it's on the second. One. There's a stress on the second word. Yep, big sir. Like the big Lebowski. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> 